Can I just jump right into God's Word? Is that okay? I want you just to remain standing. We're going to read a passage of Scripture. Take your Bibles out with me. I want you to show your love and excitement for a word, the greatest word that has ever been penned. It's God's holy word. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22 through 33. Come on, you can do better than that if you love his word. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Today, I'm preaching a message that I need you to kind of preach back to me. Is that all right? Hello? Say amen. Oh, me. Fewer people always say, oh me. I don't know why. Listen, today we're beginning a brand new series. I'm going to talk about where we're going in this series in a few minutes. But I just want to dive into God's Word. But before we can actually read, and this is kind of an add-on that happened late last night. Before we can actually read the text. Before we can have a better understanding of what is going on in verses 22 through 33. I think we need to back up in the chapter. Because there's some things that happen in the preceding verses that set up what happens in verses 22 and following. It's really two different stories in this passage of Scripture dealing with one group of people, which is the disciples. And it shows us that their spiritual lives are kind of a roller coaster. They're they're up and they're down. They're up and they're down. Have you ever been there? We've got to get transparent today. In other words, we've got to open up our hearts and let God work on us. Have you ever been there where like you're really high up and God's doing some incredible things and you feel his presence but then the next thing you know you know a hammer comes out of left field and slams you upside the head and you didn't know it was coming and you begin to wonder where God's at at all. You ever been there? Preaching to myself today. (laughs) That's where the disciples were. It was an incredible story but two stories packaged into one. Let me read to you beginning in verse 13. Flip back there with me. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Obviously, this is before the days of Taco Bell. The fast food extravaganza of restaurants. Jesus replied. Let me just say before I say what Jesus replied to. This is a totally different sermon. But verse 15 just stands out. Jesus preached so long that he had preached through meals. And now it was time for everybody to go home because they were going to starve and so the disciples thought you know the disciples are like the board of deacons you can't go past 12 o'clock because everybody will leave glad we don't have that here praise the Lord he said no they don't need to go away you give them something to eat why don't you give them something so here's here's what they say and I, I just think this is Peter saying he says we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish What do you want us to do with this sack lunch? And and they only had that because some boy had walked by and they commandeered his lunch. We got to have this. This is all we have. We got to have it. 
He says, well, bring them here to me. This is Jesus. This is so cool. He said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now, this is not an appetizer that that Jesus passed out. This was like the full smorgasbord. This was an all-you-can-eat buffet. When it says they were satisfied, they were like laid back rubbing their bellies, you know, full burps and, you know, belches and the other things that come with that. It says they were all satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. This is an incredible story. In fact, we can applaud the graciousness and the provision of God when we read this story. God's a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a just God. He's a holy God. But He's also a God of provision. Some of you need provision in your life today. Amen? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to high-five ten people around you and say, God is a good God. Go right ahead. God is a good God. Come on. God is a good God. God. Ruth. God is a good God. Everybody say that. How about grabbing a seat? If you're hungry for God's word, grab a seat. What an incredible story. Think about it. It's a story that we talk about often in church, you know, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, actually probably closer to 20,000 with women and children. And we celebrate it, and it's an incredible story. And And we applaud what Jesus has done. But can you imagine, this is 2,000 years later, and it's an incredible story. Can you imagine the perspective that the disciples had that day? They were on the front row of this miracle. Here they are watching this miracle take place, and I just have to envision Peter. Peter grabbing this, this leftovers in his basket, and he looks down at the leftovers in his basket, and he has more leftovers than what they started with. And he looks at the sea of people, this crowd of people as far as he can see, and they're stretched back and they're rubbing their bellies and some of them are still stuffing their face. And he looks down and he says, I've got more than I started with. And he looks at the disciples and he's scratching his head and they're looking at him like, what in the world's going on? And he looks back at the sea of people and here they are all full. And then he looks back over his shoulder and he sees Jesus kind of smirking. "Uh Uh-huh, that's me. That's what's going on here in in this story, this beautiful rendition of God's provision. And then Peter, he reaches into his cloak and he pulls out his iPhone and he takes a picture of the sun that is setting over the crowd because it's at the end of the day and he snaps a picture and then he pins it to his Pinterest account. Some of you are looking at me like, no, he didn't. That he would have if he had one. Yeah, that's right. Let me preach this. I think that's good because I think you're right. Um, however, let, let me tell you something. This is what's so cool to me about this. Let me tell you about Pinterest for a moment because I think he would have had he had one. It's a beautiful sunset picture. A sun setting over the crowd. He pins this picture to his Pinterest. How many of you know what a Pinterest account is? If you know what one is, raise your hand. If you do not know, put your hands down. Everybody else, raise your hand if you don't know. 
let me school you on what Pinterest is. I got my information from Wikipedia. Let me just tell you what it is. Here's what it is. It's the new craze in the social media market. It's this website that's been created for people to take pictures and thoughts and comments that they like and post them on a board that they create on their Pinterest account. So like if you create a, a faith account, you can take all these pictures and put it on your faith board. Or if you create a, a vacation board, you can take all of these dream vacations, these pictures that you see, and pin it on your vacation board because one day I want to go on vacation. And, or you can take all of these, these other boards and things of raising your kids and creative ideas when you want to build a house and you create all of these boards. And, and then sometimes you can even peruse through other people's Pinterest accounts and like things that they have and you can take stuff off of their boards and repin it to your board because you like what they have on their board. Are you with me? I really don't know what I'm talking about. I'm serious. This is like Wikipedia. But, but that's what's going on. So you, you pin things that you like because you, you love those things. In fact, let me show you something. I, I want to show you. We've searched through some Pinterest accounts. And we found some things that we wanted to share with you today. Some of you are like, I hope he didn't look at my account. We didn't, but I do want to share with you. Let me show you some pictures of what I'm talking about. I think you'll get a better understanding. This is one. It says, pay more attention to your creator than your critics. Amen. Here's another. <laughs> my face when I miss my alarm. <laughs> oh, some of you missed your alarm this morning, didn't you? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, this one is so true. This happened to me yesterday, so I know this is true. Children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word what you shouldn't have said. You ever been there? All too often. Grace isn't a little prayer you say before receiving a meal. It's a way to live. Mm. Look at the next. It says, I work out. Just kidding. I take naps. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love this one. Some people just need a high five. Hold on a second. Before you read the rest, don't, don't, don't read. Look at me. We love to high five people around here. I, I don't, listen, let me read the rest. It says, you need a high five in the face with a chair. I don't want to tell you whose Pinterest account this came up. Yes, I do. This is on my wife's Pinterest account, by the way. <laughs> Um, hey, oh, look at that. Isn't that cute? All right, go, go on. Uh, here's a good one. Stand in faith even when you're having the hardest time of your life. Whoa. Another it says, faith is moving forward even when you're scared to death. One more. Faith is having the courage to let God have control. Keep that up for a minute. I want to talk about this faith thing here. But first I want to do something. Everybody received a pen when you came in on your worship guide. I want you to take that pen out. You've been pinned. We're not going to advertise for Pinterest. We are going to advertise for God's church. So it says epicenter. Take it out and place it somewhere. I don't know. On your shirt. Everybody, you doing this? Say amen. Okay. This is a little button. We're going to call it a pen today. You've been pinned. You know, it's this faith thing is really intriguing because sometimes we struggle with this. This is the area of our walk that we tend to struggle with. You know, it's one thing for us to take a picture of 5,000 people being fed by one box lunch. That's definitely a pinnable picture for Pinterest. It's one thing for us to pin the pictures of our blessings, of the things that we want. But it's another thing to pin 
the pictures of our responsibilities. You see, it's easy for us to pin the promises of God's Word. But what about the commands of God's Word? Hello? We have selective pinning. I mean, we pin some stuff that we want, but yet we'll take the other stuff out of God's Word and not live it. You know, it's one thing to pin when faith is doing well, these pictures of 5,000 people being fed, but what about the times when our faith is not really strong? What about the times when faith is not what we would hope it would be? You see, stick here with me for a minute. It's one thing to pin when your prayers are being answered, you feel God in everything you do, you sense His presence, and it's like, woo, you're on a high. But what about when you don't feel that way and your faith is in the cellar and and you're praying prayers and they're seemingly unanswered and doubt begins to settle in and you don't even feel God, you wonder where he's at. What do you do during those faith times? Hello? Have you ever been there? Am I preaching to myself today? What do you do during those times? See, because we all struggle with, with this faith aspect. You see, it doesn't take any faith for me to believe for your miracles because that's you. Think about it, it didn't take any faith for the disciples to see 20,000 people fed because it had nothing to do with them. But in the very next verse, in verse 22, they find themselves in a horrific experience that is going to require all of their faith. See, it didn't require any faith for them to see the bellies of 20,000 people filled, but now they're in an experience that they're going to have faith, they're going to need faith, they're going to have to have faith in order to make it through the tumultuous, difficult time that is ahead, and it's all in one single day that this unfolds in their lives. In fact, this is the premise of, of today. I want you to write this down. If it's not in your notes, I'm not sure if it is. But, but the thought is, if you want your faith to work, if you want a faith that works, you must be willing to lose control. Let me say that again. If you want a faith that works, you must be willing to lose control. Maybe you don't understand that fully, but by the time we unwrap all of this talk today, you'll, you'll come to a better understanding. See, it's one thing for us to applaud the goodness of God in chapter 14, verse 21, and say, He's a provider, He's a God who's gracious. But chapter 14, verse 21, gives way to chapter 14, verse 22, and now the disciples find themselves in a storm of life that they do not know how to get through. More intimately, it's a story about Peter and his seeming faltering faith. You see, I think we can all relate to Peter. We all can relate to Peter because there are some qualities about Peter's life that we find in our own lives. Peter was big on promises, but he was short on execution. Think about it. Peter was this dude who had two identities, if you will. One person fighting with two different identities and which one is going to win. Think about it this way. Peter's real name was Simon, but Jesus gave him the nickname of Peter. And he said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, I'll never deny you. And three times that night he denied Christ. That's Simon. Then in the story that we look at today, Peter's in the boat with the disciples and he sees Jesus walking out on the water and he says to Jesus, Jesus, if that is you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat with all kinds of faith. No one else would get out of the boat, but he jumps out of the boat and he begins to step towards Jesus. And the closer that he gets towards Jesus, he begins to allow his faith to succumb to fear and pretty soon he is sinking. 
Think about this with me. The moment that he allows God to have control in his life and he has his eyes focused upon Jesus, everything is okay. But the moment that fear sets in and he takes control back from Jesus, he begins to sink. Hello? But you know what? We can't judge Peter because we're the same way. In fact, let me read for you a few more verses, beginning in verse 22. I want us... I want you to see this, and I'm going to read a few verses, then I'm going to stop, and we're going to dialogue over these verses. But here's what is written. It says in verse 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Immediately, immediately, just as soon as the people were fed, the sun set. He said, immediately get into the boat. I want you to circle two things in this scripture. Number one, circle Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Circle that. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. The second thing that I want you to circle is he told them to go to the other side. Two very important characteristics that you need to see. While he dismissed the crowd, verse 23, it says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. I love this because this shows us that Jesus had a desire to have intimacy with his father. But there's something else that this is showing us too. It's showing us that there's a trait that we must have present in our own spiritual lives, and that is prayer. Hello? He's showing us what we're supposed to do by living a life of prayer. Are you with me? Different message, but we'll, we'll move on. Verse 24, it says, But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you? I I cannot reenact that. I wish I could. I wish I could just reenact that and levitate off this platform here. Can't do it. It's an incredible, incredible, miraculous event that I think sometimes we've minimized because we've heard it so often. But Jesus walking on the water. Then look what happens. Verses following, it says, he's walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! I can understand that. And they cried out in fear. Let me pause here for a minute because I I want you to get inside of this story today. I don't want you to look at it from an external perspective. I want you to get inside of the story. Can you imagine the conversation that was taking place amongst the disciples inside of this boat? Here they are, they're rowing, going to the other side because Jesus told them to go to the other side and they're looking at one another and they're still scratching their heads. They're like, man, can you believe what Jesus did today? He fed 20,000 people off of a Hebrew Happy Meal. How did he do such a thing? How did he feed all? And I collected more than I can even eat with the leftovers. I got enough for days. Can you believe it? And right in the midst of the conversation, off in the distance, there was this pop of lightning and this crack of thunder. Now, all of a sudden, their conversation begins to change. The waves begin to build. The wind gets stronger. The waves are crashing over their boat. They're trying to bail water out, and now all of a sudden they change their conversation from the goodness of who Christ was to is he going to show up for us? Is he going to show up for us because he just fed 20,000 people that he didn't even know, and we hang out with him every single day, and here he has led us into the eye of the storm. What's going on here? 
He met their need. He showed he's a God of provision, but will he show us he's a God of protection? Because now we're in need of his goodness. Can you imagine? You know that was the conversation. Because Jesus made them go. And if he made them go, he had to know this was going to happen. And now they're beginning to question, oh, who is this Jesus? Think about this with me for a minute. It did not take any faith whatsoever for them to see the 20,000 people fed. But now they're in a position where their faith is being challenged. And you know that they're questioning Jesus. You see, it doesn't take any faith for you to grab someone by the hand and they tell you that they're relationally struggling and you pray for them and you walk away and it's really nothing else that you really need to worry about because it's not your faith. But let you go home and your husband tell you that he doesn't want to be married to you anymore? All of a sudden, that prayer takes on a brand new meaning. Or better yet, it's not hard for you to pray for someone who's lost a job and you pray for them and you walk away from that and you don't have to have any faith because that's them. You know, they have to worry about their own bellies and you go to work and you get fired and all of a sudden, that prayer has a brand new meaning and you're left crying out in fear the same way they were in verse 26. You see, here's a thought that I want you to write down. And that is this. Our loss of control is the birthplace of His grace. Let me say that again. Our loss of control is the birthplace of His grace. You see, it's not your abilities. God will place you in situations that are beyond your abilities, beyond your talents, beyond your resources, beyond your skill sets, just so that He can stretch you in your faith and get you to the other side. He will place you in those situations. In fact, there are a couple of things that I want you to see in, in these two, two or three verses that we just read. Two things that I want to highlight that really stand out to me. Number one, historians tell us that the point that they're crossing to go to the other side, this Sea of Galilee, if you will, is approximately seven miles wide. Historians tell us that it takes roughly two to three hours to cross that point if the seas are right. Here they are, theologians tell us, that when Jesus approaches them, that they've been rowing for up to nine hours. Theologians also tell us that they're only three and a half miles into the journey, meaning they're halfway. They've been rowing for nine hours on a trip that should have taken them two, and here they are rowing, 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 trying to figure out how to get through it. But here's what blows me away. Everyone on the boat, or for the majority anyway, are all experienced navigators. They all know how to navigate the storm. They've all been on the sea hundreds, if not thousands of times. They've all had to go through the storms before, but yet they find themselves in a position that they cannot get through. They're rowing, they're rowing, they're trying to navigate around it, they're trying to navigate through it, they're calling a friend, they're Facebooking, we've got a problem that's bigger than us, we've lost control, we're throwing money at it. You know what we do when we have problems. That's where they are, they're just rowing and rowing and rowing, Yet going nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. This is, I don't know why I keep doing that. Let me get that out. This is a prophetic word for some of you today. I want to encourage you because there are some of you in here, you have have a skill set financially that probably very few people have, but yet you find yourself in a financial position that's out of your control. Today's for you. Some of you are in a relationship and you have an uncanny ability to forgive people and you've forgiven the person that you're having this tumultuous relationship with, but yet they won't yield to you forgiveness. And your relationship is spiraling out of control. 
Can I tell you something? In order to experience God's grace, you've got to lose control. Did you hear me? If you want to experience His grace, you must lose control. If you want to experience His peace, then you've got to go through a storm. If you want to experience His joy, then you've got to go through a low spot. If you want to experience the goodness of God, then there has to be times that you cry out in fear. Hello? Am I preaching to myself today? See, that's where the disciples were at here. In fact, I want to show you something that I skipped on purpose. Go back with me to verse 22. I want you to see this. Here's the conversation that's happening. Place yourself in the boat with the disciples. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What blows me away about this verse is that God in his sovereignty, Jesus Christ himself, sent them to the other side. God is a sovereign God. He sent them to the other side. He knows everything from the end to the beginning. He had to know that there was a storm, but yet he sent them into the eye of the storm. He wanted them to go to the other side, and yet he sent them into a storm. Can you imagine the disciples saying, hold on a second, we just watched him feed 5,000 people. Now we're going into the eye of the storm. Why would he do such a thing? Doesn't he like us? You know they were. They were hanging out with Jesus every day. Can I tell you something? God did not promise you a stormless nor a waveless life. In fact, I can relate to these guys because, to be honest with you, I have found myself many times coming to church and preaching a word, trying to motivate and trying to give you what God has, has given me, and I'm preaching to myself while I'm preaching to you, and I go home and cry to my wife and say, well, if he called me, why couldn't it be easier? If he gave me this vision, why didn't he make it easier? You've probably done the same thing. But the Holy Spirit dropped something into my lap a long time ago that I want to share with you, and that is this. The will of God rarely caters to your convenience. Rarely caters to your convenience. I've noticed in my own life that there are times in my life when I'm struggling, I'm burned out, I'm tired, and God will place somebody right beside of me who's tired, burned out, and struggling. And I'm like... I just saw you feed 5,000. I need something now. But what I have noticed is that he places them there for me to minister to them. And it's in the process of me ministering to them that I get ministered to. You see, God works through the laws of reciprocity. He works through sowing and reaping. And even though it's inconvenient and I need to be ministered to, and I'm struggling, I minister to them because it proves that my heart belongs to him. And when I prove that my heart belongs to him, he cannot help but to help me. Are you with me? You see, that's, that's where this story is going. I know that's a separate sermon, and we're going to take a series and talk about that at some point in time. But, but what this story is showing us is that God wanted them to go to the other side. God's will for your life is never neatly packaged, and it's never a straight line. There's always storms involved. There's always failures involved. There's always difficulty to get to the other side. So let me ask you a question. When your faith is drained and you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're doing everything you're supposed to do, I mean, you're coming to church and you're praising the Lord, you're listening to the preacher and you say, "Woo, he just made a good point. And you write it down, you take the note and you apply it to your life and you're like, "Woo, I'm going to walk for Jesus now because I got the word that I need. But yet the storm clouds grow more and more ominous. You walk the path that God wants you to walk, but the further you walk in His direction, the darker it becomes. Have you ever been there? 
You see, that's where the disciples are at. Here they are screaming out, we just left a church service where God, he, he fed 5,000 people plus the women and the children and all of a sudden, bang, lightning and thunder and the waves coming over the boat and now they're like, come on, don't you love us? We've been living for you. We've been doing what you want us to do. You sent us, Jesus. You told us to go. Why would you send me into the storm? And don't act like you don't do the same thing. Some of you are tithers and you've been tithers your whole life, but yet you're in a position financially that is absolutely difficult. And you're like, hold on a second. I've been tithing my whole life and now I'm financially just in ruins. Why would God allow that to happen? Hold on a second. You said in your word that you would provide if I tithe. Or some of you find yourselves in a position where you've raised your kid in the right way, but yet they're living the wrong way. And you're like, hold on a second. God, I've done everything that you wanted me to, to do. Can I tell you something? Sometimes Jesus does not lead us to the pinnacle of success. I want you to hear me here because I know that's not a comfortable statement. That doesn't preach easy, but it is good theology. Sometimes God does not lead us to the pinnacle of success. Rather, he leads us to the birthplace of his grace. And it's at that place that your success can be realized then and then only. You see, some of you, you need to be encouraged today because you've hit this storm in your life and you think and you've assumed that I must be out of God's will. Can I tell you something? Just because you've hit a storm does not mean you're out of God's will. God will use the storm to stretch you, to take you to where He wants you to go. Why? Because it's not that He wants to do something for you. He wants to do something in you. You see, let me say it this way. God will use storms as a tool for you to trust in Him. And if you didn't catch that, and let me rephrase it, because I think that is better than you reacted. God will stretch your faith not by leading you around the storm, but by leading you through the storm. So what do you do when your marriage is rocked? What do you do when your finances are rocked? What do you do when your marriage is rocked? You let go of the reins and you let God. You stopped having this desire to control and you begin to step out on His Word. You begin to step out when your marriage goes through difficulty. You step out on His Word. What do you do when your kids are living like hell? You let go of your desire to control and let God because it's at that place where you meet the birthplace of His grace. You meet the birthplace of His goodness, the birthplace of His peace, the birthplace of His help the birthplace of his hope. You let go of your desire to control because when you let go of your desire to control, you take assurance in his ability to control you and control the outcome of your situation. Are you with me today? It's our desire to control. Let me just be honest with you. It's easier. It's one thing to have faith to start something. It's another thing to have faith to finish something. And so many times we don't make it to the other side because we're not willing to relinquish control. I think about my mentor who built this church and everything that you see. And one of the things that he said to me was that he told his wife, if the vision of God does not happen in this church, when I die, put on my tombstone that Gardner Altman failed God. Do you understand what he's saying? 
He's saying that I'm going to step to God and I'm not the one in control. I'm going to release it and I'm just going to be His vessel and He's going to do the things that I cannot do. Are you with me here? You see, that's what's happening in this story. It's this dynamic. We have this desire. In fact, I heard, heard it said this way. I wrote this down and I could not remember this week where I heard this a long time ago. But it's, it went something like this. True faith costs us the luxury of control. True faith costs us the luxury of control. It's not that God will come up and snatch control away from us. He won't yank it out of our hands. He just wants us to loosen our grip and lay it down so that He can lead us where He wants us to go. You see, the problem is, some of us, to be honest with you, are fighting for control. And when you fight for control in your life, you know what you're doing? You're saying your will is more important than God's will. Hello? Some of you, you, your faith is in your abilities. Your faith is not in God's abilities, it's in your abilities. And you wonder why when the storms of life come, you begin to cave under the weight of the storm. Can I tell you why you cave under the weight of the storm? Because you're carrying a weight that you were never meant to carry. Hello? Go with me to, I think, verse 25. We're going to skip ahead. Verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. This verse um, has baffled me at times, probably more so than any other verse in this story. Because in verse 25, back up and look at it again. It says, shortly before dawn, they've been fighting on this sea for nine hours. Jesus went out to them. They've been fighting. It's almost 5 a.m. They've been fighting for hours, and finally Jesus shows up. Hang on a second. Jesus didn't come immediately. He didn't come immediately. In fact, look at verse 26. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. In fact, Jesus was going to walk on by them. He didn't walk up to the boat, throw his legs over, and jump in. He was walking on by them. This is the image that's being painted here. In fact, I'm going to show you something to prove that. You see, we want to think about Jesus being this compassionate Jesus that all of a sudden he sees that we're in trouble and he comes flying across the water, you know, like Michael Jordan, just whoo, whoo, jumps in the boat and he rescues us and he all of a sudden he just says one word and all of the water that's in the boat jumps out of the boat and then he grabs us and begins to stroke us and tell us that everything's going to be okay. That's how we want to view Jesus here. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't even show up immediately. In fact, can I show you something? Look with me over in Mark chapter 6, verse 48. Write that down. And you look at it when you get home. You're going to see something here. This is Mark's rendition of this story, which is very powerful. Mark says this. He says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Here they are rowing. Because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. I want you to see this. Walking on the lake. And then look what it says. He was about to pass them by. What? Man, when I read this, I read it again. I read it again. I've read it a hundred times before. And I'm like, hold on. I've really never noticed. He was about to pass them by. It was like, Pete, I'm not going to stay on the, on, the, on the sea with you. This is crazy. Going to the other side. Going to have me some breakfast. And he's about to pass them by. 
this stood out to me. I prayed about it. I studied it. I prayed about it some more. And this is the conclusion that I came to. He's not even close to them. He was detouring their vessel. And then it hit me. He wants to be involved in our storm, but he only comes when he hears our cry. Because look what happens in verse 26. Go back there with me. You're going to see this. This is awesome. Verse 26 of, of Matthew chapter 14 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fake. Is that what it says? No, it says they cried out in fear. Now, I love this because this just proves to me the compassion of Jesus. They didn't cry out in faith. They cried out in fear. Do you know what this means? That means that there are times in our life when faith is very, very, very small. And we don't know what to cry out for. We don't know what to ask. But all we have to do is cry out. And when our voice begins to resonate, there is something in the tone of our voice that captures the very heart of Christ and He comes running to our side. Are you with me? They didn't cry out in faith. Preachers want to stand up and say, you've got to have the faith of God. They didn't. They didn't. They cried out in fear. Listen, you do have to have faith. I'm not minimizing faith, but what I'm saying is we've heard all of our lives preachers say, well, if you don't have faith, you won't have the answer. Well, they got the answer. Can I tell you something? It's because Jesus is consumed with you. He desires to help you. He wants to get involved in your situation and in your storm, but his involvement comes at the sound of your cry. He cried out, and he showed up. Here's another thought I want you to write down. That is this. If you want to go to the other side, you see Jesus saying, you've got to go to the other side. If you want to go to the other side, You've got to be willing to do some unusual things. Look at verse 27. I want to show you something. Verse 27 says this. Be willing to do some... Un says Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't you be afraid. Now, what's about to be shown to us next is the riskiness of your faith. You're about to see how risky your faith is. Look what happens in verse 28. 29, it says, Lord, if it's you, this is Peter, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, one word, four letters, come. Come. Hold on a second. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can think of a thousand other things. If you want a sign, Peter, I mean, you could have asked for a better sign than that. I mean, come on. If it's you, Lord, send me a sign. We do that all the time. Send me a sign if it's you. He could have said, Jesus, I want you to just come into this boat, levitate this boat all the way to the other side of the shore. That way we don't have to row nor fight this storm. And while you're at it, I'd love to have an Egg McMuffin that may be left over from the meal the night before. I mean, I could have thought of a thousand other things to ask for. Give me a sign, Jesus, give me a sign. Give me a sign that my finances are going to be all right. Give me a sign, Jesus, when I get home today and you go home and you open up your mail and it looks like you got a check and then all of a sudden you look at it really close and it's a bill. Wrong sign, Jesus, wrong sign. 
You know what I'm talking about? We do that. Give me a sign, Jesus. I want you to notice something. Look at this. It says, he said, come. The more I read that, I realized and came to the conclusion that he didn't fix their problems immediately either. He didn't come to their aid immediately, and he did not fix their problems immediately. Rather than fixing their problems, he gave them a command. He gave Peter a command. Come. Could it be that we need to stop demanding that God fix our problems and start listening to his command? Could it be that we need to stop asking him to fix our problems and start asking him to give us a, a, a command? Could it be that we need to stop demanding and start listening? Could it be that we need to stop saying, Jesus, you need to meet my needs and give me my blessings, and why don't we start asking him for the command? Because think about this. The command will lead you out. The word of the Lord will lead you out. Once you receive that word, it may be a word that you never thought of. It may be a way out of the storm that you never dreamed, like walking on water. He said, come. In fact, verse 29 and 30, I call those verses the dare paradox. Now, here's the reason why I call it that, because... Here Jesus says one four-letter word, I, I, want you, I want you just to come. Peter, I, I, I want you to come. But he's not saying to Peter, Peter, I, I want you to come because <laughs> you're going to fail. This sinister plot, the horns come out, <laughs> I can't wait for him to fail. Come on, Peter. It's not one of those dares. It was, Peter, I want you to step out, Peter. I want you to step in my direction because when you step in my direction, it's going to show me that you love me. Peter, I want you to step out because when you step, I'm going to heal you. I want you to step out, Peter, because when you step, I'm going to do some things in your life that you haven't been able to do for yourself. Peter, I want you to step out, and when you step out, I'm going to fix your finances. Peter, I want you to trust me enough to stand on the water. I want you to trust me enough to stand on the word. I want you to trust me enough to follow my commands. I want you to to trust me enough to show me that you love me. But here's what's awesome. Peter builds this spiritual momentum and he's stepping out on the word and he's listening to the word and to the voice of Jesus who continues to say, Peter, come, because I don't think it was a one-time word. I think he kept saying, Peter, you can do this. Come on, you can do this. And he's listening to the word, but then all of a sudden he begins to listen to another word. He begins to hear, Peter, you can't do that. Peter, don't you remember who you are? You're Simon. You can't, you will never get through that addiction, Peter. You've always been this way. Your wife will never love you, Peter. Your, your, your finances will always be messed up. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. You're too fat. You're too ugly. You have a drug problem that's killing everybody around you. You'll never be the person that you want to be. You're never going to have your finances be what you want them to be. This economy's going to ruin your business. And at that moment, he loses his spiritual momentum. And he goes from walking across the surface of the water to lying beneath the surface of the water. All because he quit following the word of the Lord. Think about this with me because I had this thought. So many times God will give us a word, but we'll allow the word that someone else gives us to keep us from his word. So many times we'll allow the word that somebody else speaks in our lives to keep us from where God wants us to go. Every major miracle in the Bible was 
a response to a dare that God gave. Every major miracle in the Bible was someone responding to a dare. Step out in faith. Their willingness to take a dare and to step out calls God to say, I want to bless you. You see, He wants to bless you. He can't help but to bless you when you begin to step out in faith and you begin to step in His direction. Every major miracle. You see, He wasn't calling. He wasn't daring Peter to come out because He wanted him to drown. No. He was preparing Peter for his future. Hold that thought. Let me, let me tell you this. You see, if you think that your faith struggles, the more mature you become in your faith, are going to be easier, you are sadly mistaken. Your faith struggles will graduate to the next level. And if you can't take the dare on God now, you won't only fail now, but you will never make it to where God wants you to go. Think about this. Peter couldn't have gone from seeing the 5,000 fed to becoming the patriarch of the church without losing control and taking a dare on Jesus. This is the point where it began. Let me show you something else. Look at verse 30, I think. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. I, this right here just blows me away. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and he cried out, Lord, save me. I thought, how many times have we had spiritual momentum in our lives, but yet we begin to look at our circumstances and they seem to be unconquerable and therefore we give up the ground that we gain. How many times, in, in fact, let me just get honest with you. I'm going to just make, make this open and transparent for all of us. Some of you say, you know what, I'm going to come to church today and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to praise God with this reckless abandon and I'm, I'm going to let him know how much I love him. I've never lifted my hands before, but I'm going to. And you come to church and all of a sudden you, you look around and you're getting ready to lift your hand and it's like... Why? Because boom, the fear sets in. You don't want people to think, oh, he's silly. Why does he have his hands up in the air? Or for others, you want to pray for your spouse. You, you want your marriage to be a, a marriage of prayer. So men, you, you determine, I'm going to pray with my spouse. I'm going to grab her by the hands and we're going to pray together. But you know what? All of a sudden, the fear of rejection sets in and you don't do it because you think she knows my most intimate secrets and she's going to think I'm silly. So you give up spiritual momentum. Can I tell you something? It is your stepping towards God that causes your spiritual momentum to continue. When I think about Peter, he's stepping out. When I think about Peter, he realizes if I step He'll restore. If I step, He'll give me hope. If I step, He'll recover my marriage. If I step, He'll fix my finances. If I step, He'll cause me to break through the fear of rejection. If I step, He'll cause me to break through the fear of insecurity. If I step, He'll cause me to overcome my problems. If I step, He'll help me raise my kids. If I step, He'll help me raise this church to a new level. If I step, He'll help me overcome the waves of life. If I step, if I step, it's by stepping towards Him that enables me to do the life that He's called me to do. You've got to lose control if you want to experience His grace. 
verse 31. Stand to your feet on this one. verse 31 it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he called him but he said something that can I be frank with you preachers have preached represented this passage of scripture wrong for as long as I can remember can't be like Peter. You've got to have faith. Remember you of little faith? Remember what he said to Peter? Can, can I tell you something? I did some research on that phrase and found out that you of little faith, it doesn't actually mean he didn't have any faith. He had enough faith to get out of the boat. He was the only one who got out of the boat. He's not questioning the intensity of Peter's faith. He's questioning the duration of Peter's faith. Why did you doubt? Verse 32, I think, is there. It says a lot without saying it. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. I don't know how far Peter walked, but, but the description of this verse tells me some things that maybe we haven't pictured. The wind and the waves didn't die down until they got back to the boat. I don't know if Peter walked 50 yards, if he walked 500 yards. I, I, I don't know if he walked five yards. What I do know is that Peter walked on the water. The Bible says so. However, Jesus did not calm the wind and the waves until he got back into the boat. This visual image comes into my mind where Peter is picked up out of the water by Jesus. Jesus puts his arm around Peter and they begin to step together. It's as if he's saying, Peter, I, I, we can do this together. By yourself, you can't do it. But under my control, you can. And when they get back into the boat, he doesn't calm the storm until they get, he gets back into the boat. Why? Because he wants to show Peter that together we can overcome the storm. Together we can overcome your insecurities. Together you may not have a baby. Maybe today, I don't know why the Lord's saying this. Maybe today you've been praying for a, to, for a pregnancy. Maybe you want to become pregnant and you've been trying everything that you've could do you have seen specialists you have done I don't know what the Lord's doing here you have seen specialist after specialist you have thrown money at it you have tried to do everything that is within your control you see babies all around you and you become discouraged can, can I tell you something step with Jesus today and he's going to begin to do things that you haven't been able to do nor has your money been able to do step with Jesus and then something happens in verse 33. It says, Then those who were in the boat, they worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the very first time that they made this pronouncement upon Jesus in the Gospels. They didn't make it after He fed 20,000 people. They made it after He saved their lives. But I want you to see something here. Before I show you this, Let me back up and tell you one other thing. I was going to skip it, but I just feel the Lord saying, don't. So many times we 
view this story of Peter as being a failure. That he failed in his faith. We think he didn't have enough faith. Why did you doubt? And I've come to the realization this is not a story about Peter's faith. This is a story about the trustworthiness of Christ. In fact, if you go home today and you look at Mark's rendition of this story in Mark chapter 6, Mark never mentions Peter walking on the water. What blew me away about that is the book of Mark, most theologians believe, came from Peter's notes. Came from Peter's preaching message. So if Peter walked on the water and Mark's rendition version comes from Peter's notes, why didn't Peter talk about the fact that he failed? Was it because he was ashamed? He didn't want us to know? No. I came to the conclusion that years later, Peter realized that the story was not about him at all and he didn't want our attention to be focused upon him. He wanted our attention to be focused upon Jesus. You see, this was not a story about Peter's faith. This was a story about Jesus' faithfulness to lift you up when you're down and out. Verse 33, again it says that they called him Son of God. Now this is a response to something that I pretty much skipped over in verse 27, and I have to show you this. Go back to 27. Truly you are the Son of God. It says, take courage, he says. He says, it is I. The word I, it is I, that phrase, it actually is a Greek word that means the very same thing that God said to Moses in the Hebrew when Moses said, who's sending me? Who, who, who am I going to say sent me? Who, who is, who's representing me? You know, who is it that's going ahead of me? And, and God said, Moses, you tell the Pharaoh that it is the I am. He said, okay, I can step out on the I am. I have enough faith to step out on the I am. Well, that word, it is I, in the Greek, it actually means I am. So at that moment when the seas are rough and it's dark and the disciples can't see a thing, but all they hear is him say, I am, they're no longer focused upon the oar. But now their eyes begin to pierce through the darkness because they've heard this person call himself the I am. Then after everything unfolds, we see in verse 33, they say, truly you are the Son of God. Here's what's being said. Peter realizes that he's not walking on his own cognizance. He's not walking under his own control. He's stepping out on the I am. He's living on the I am. He understands that the I am is great enough. He understands that the I am is more than enough. He understands that the I am will help him do what he cannot do. The I am will help you overcome your insecurities. The I am will help you overcome the frailties of your life. The I am will help you overcome this economy. It's the I am. Father, we thank you today that all we have to do is lose control, our desire to manipulate, and to step out on the promises of the I Am. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you need today to realize that we've got to stop pinning what we want. start stepping towards His commands. Today, God is doing something radical in many of your lives. Some of you today, you're in the storm of your life. 
you've even questioned whether or not you're in God's will. You need help because you're tired of bailing the water out of your boat and you're rowing and you've gotten nowhere. Maybe it's not been nine hours, but it's been nine months or nine years. And today you need God to lift you up and you're wanting to step in His direction. And you realize that it's when you lose control that you meet the birthplace of His grace in your life. If today you're struggling in some area, no one's looking around, it's just me, but you're going through the storm and you need this story to come to fruition in your life, I want you just to raise your hand all over this building. Hands are going up everywhere. Hands, 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 hands. You're battling fear. You're battling insecurity. You're battling the past. You're battling some storm that you haven't been able to control in your physical body. You're battling financial difficulties. You're battling hands are going up everywhere. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.